the immune system is very complex. It has different players um, and they all do something different and they work together. And so um, the killing process is probably the most relevant for the tumor immunology, but it's equally important that you remove the debris because if you get an accumulation of debris, then the organ which you actually want to resolve, where you want to heal, uh, is going to be destroyed with the debris. So an important, equally important process of to killing is also removal of debris. And here, another cell type is important, like the macrophages. You do know that those, certainly these are our uh, eating cells. And so you need to have macrophages as well. Learn about the newest digital pathology trends in science and industry, meet the most interesting people in the niche, and gain insights relevant to your own projects. Here is where pathology meets computer science. You are listening to the Digital Pathology Podcast with your host, Dr. Alexandra Zhurov. Hi, everyone. Today's episode is sponsored by Visiofarm. Denmark-based leader in artificial intelligence-driven image analysis, tissue mining, and precision pathology. The quest to cure cancer is ongoing, and currently with cancer immunotherapy, also known as immune oncology, scientists are tapping into the power of our own immune system to defeat cancer. So if you were ever wondering what cell populations and processes play an important role in this approach and how image analysis helps the researchers, this episode is for you. Today, my guest is Professor Elfriede Nussner from Helmholtz Research Center in Munich, Germany. She is a member of Visiofirm's scientific advisory board and an immunologist with over 35 years of experience in the field of cancer immunotherapy. She will give us an overview of the interactions between the tumor and the immune system and the role of tissue image analysis in this process. Hi, Elfriede. How are you today? Thank you very well. Um, yes, I'm looking forward to our talk. Yes, thank you for joining me on the podcast. And let's start with you. Let's talk about you. You're an expert in immunology. Tell us a little bit more about your background and about your research and how you got to that place. Yeah, I guess I'm an expert in immunology. I have done that since 1985 when I did my PhD work in uh, the lab of uh, Professor Schendel. And we studied the T-cell response towards antigens at a time where there was not so much understood about how that actually works. Um, I continued doing immunology research on antigen presentation and T-cell response during my postdoctoral thesis, which I did at Stanford University. Um, there, I studied the immune response towards transplantation. And my former employer said I shouldn't switch the topic. I should stay with the transplantation because tumor immunology has never worked. Times have changed. And it's now about the most upcoming therapeutic approach in cancer immunotherapy and also in autoimmunity, where it was actually always an accepted discipline. Um, my working place currently is the Helmholtz Center in Munich. My main topic or my research field is the renal cell carcinoma, 
but also lung cancer. And it's uh, trying to understand how the immune response works or actually is inhibited against the tumor in order to make it happen again after it has stopped in the tumor microenvironment. Yes, that's my background. (laughs) So why did you pursue this field of immune oncology, even though your your supervisors or your co-researchers discouraged you from that? Why did you think it was important then? And why is it important now? I guess easy answer is I was always stubborn um, and I was always interested in in difficult questions. And um, at the time when I uh, joined the tumor immunology was uh, actually gaining a bit of ground because it was about the time when the first tumor antigens in human tissue actually were identified. It was the group by Terry Boone in, in the Netherlands. And so the tumor immunology aspect and the topic gained a bit more scientific and got away from the anecdotal field, which it was called, it is, it's anecdotal, that immune responses towards tumors happen sometime, but nobody understood why. And so um, this was interesting. And uh, we had a very good connection to the urologists. And uh, it was well known that renal cell cancer can disappear spontaneously. And so it was thought that this can only be the immune system because what else can make things disappear? We do know that the immune cells, they can destroy things, pathogens. It's very well equipped to do that. And so it was indications that the immune system can be directed towards tumor tissue. And that kind of interested me. Mm-hmm. So you say, obviously, uh, immune cells can destroy pathogens, and you suspected back then already that uh, the disappearance of renal cell carcinoma can be due to immune system. What are the immunological processes and also cell populations? You said you were working with T cells at the beginning of your career. What are the processes and cell populations relevant for oncology, for immune oncology? I mean, yes, um, the processes are, of course, in the tumor field, it's killing, removing the tumor. I mean, if you think about autoimmunity, it's actually the opposite. And that was also very interesting to me that this autoimmunity and tumor immunology may be two sides of the same coin. Um, So understanding the principles, I thought, and I think that is also true, will help to understand better any of the disciplines. Autoimmunity will help tumor immunology and tumor immunology will help the autoimmunity because, you know, in the one side you want to enhance the immune response and the other side you want to stop it. And so you can learn from each other. Um, And the processes, I mean, the, the immune system is very complex. It has different players. Um, and they all do something different and they work together. And so um, the killing process is probably the most relevant for the tumor immunology, but it's equally important that you remove the debris because if you get an accumulation of debris, then the organ, which you actually want to resolve, where you want to heal, uh, is going to be destroyed with the debris. So 
an important, equally important process of to killing is also removal of debris. And here, another cell type is important, like the macrophages. You do know that those, certainly these are our uh, eating cells. And so you need to have macrophages as well. And um, other processes you do know are um, antigen presentation. Um, what does that mean? It is you have to enable T cells to see the enemy, basically. And so you have to have a certain cell type which presents and shows the antigen to the T cell so that it can launch an attack. If you do not have antigen presentation, then the T cell is blind. It does not know what to attack. And so the antigen presentation is done by a specialized cell type, which is all the dendritic cells. Um, so now we have T cells, we have dendritic cells, we have the macrophages, then there are the B cells, you know, antibodies, and the B cells produce the antibodies. And the antibodies bind to the antigen. That's why it's an antibody. So, and by that, it, it marks the cell that should be destroyed, for example, by a macrophage. So B cells are also an important part. The B cells in the tumor field, they are upcoming as an interesting cell type and the processes are not quite understood what it will do with the tumor tissue because it's a systemic, uh, a systemic response and the tumor, at least for the most part are solid, they are organ localized and the antibodies, they are in the circulation. So the B cells, that is sort of a developing, but has not necessarily um, defined mechanism behind it in the tumor field. Mm -hmm. um, so we had the killing, we had the eating of the debris, antigen presentation, and then equally important is the regulation of the whole communication, and that's stopping the immune response. This is a very important process in the immune system because it prevents overshooting and wrongly reacting immune response, which leads to autoimmunity. In the tumor field, this regulation, which is a built-in process in the immune response, this regulation is coming too early. It's stopping the T cells before they have removed all the tumor cells. So the regulation, the stopping process, which is, you cannot live without the stopping reaction in the immune response. It's detrimental in the tumor immunology field. So, and that were great breakthroughs to identify those mechanisms that stop the immune system. It's like, you do know checkpoints, they call checkpoints, that point it's controlled, does the immune response go on? So does the killing proceed or is it stopped? And these checkpoints are CTLA-4 and PD-1, PDL-1, which have led to uh, these advanced therapies, which are now applied to a lot of patients and where there's great benefit um, in the uh, tumor control by stopping or overriding those checkpoints. Mm -hmm. Especially PDL1 is something that 
is commonly present in the immune oncology field and also something that you can detect in the tissue. My next question is, what role does the visualization and quantification of those cells and those checkpoints in the tissue play? What is the role it plays in advancing immune oncology or immunology? Does it matter? How relevant is it to see it in the tissue? One easy answer is seeing is believing. You can convince somebody right away if you can make them see. And so that's a simple answer. But of course, this is uh, also can be documented by, by more scientific ways. Like uh, you see that a T cell is in the tumor tissue then you do know it at least has found the place or the right um, localization where it should execute its job. So it has to be on the right location and you can visualize that when you do an image analysis. And the great breakthrough also um, for tumor immunology or that the immune cells, the T cells actually can make a benefit or do have a benefit in tumor control was a paper in science, so uh, the magazine Science, published in 2006 by um, Galon Cherom. Um, mm-hmm. He was able to visualize the T cells in the colorectal cancer tumor tissue, and he could demonstrate that by counting the number of T cells, that matters to the prognosis of the patient. So what Mm. he was able to show is that if there are many T cells in the cancer tissue, then the patient has a better prognosis. And he did that in a patient cohort, and he was able to show that the prediction of prognosis um, was better based on the T cell numbers than it was on the pathology like it was done before or it's still done, but he could show that in the situation with the stage one tumor, for example, where this is a very good prognosis in general, but there are some patients still in stage one uh, who relapse early. And he could show that those patients who do not relapse, really do not relapse, they have a high count of T cells in the tumor tissue. And those which relapse, even though they are stage one, they have a low count. I remember that work. This this led to immunoscore. It's kind of a test yeah. now, right? And image yeah. analysis was used for this uh, for this yeah. test. But yeah, go ahead, go ahead, keep explaining because this is fascinating. Yeah. So um, this was sort of really um, 2006, making even pathologists believe that T cells matter, can matter. I I have to say because they do not work all the time. And that is something where this is currently struggling or that must be the future to understand why they not work all the time. And here I come back to the regulation. The immune system stops itself after a while. This is absolutely required. Uh, otherwise tissue will be destroyed that should not be destroyed. So, um, to understand what regulates it. There are different levels. One is the checkpoints, PD-1, PDL one Then you have also regulatory cells, the regulatory T cells, for example. 
And those can be also in the tissue or they are most of the time. And here it's also important, not only that they are in the tissue, but to regulate the CD8 killer cells, they must be in close proximity to the CD8s. So if you have the same number of T-Rex in one tissue, but they are far apart from the CD8 T-cells, then that doesn't matter. It doesn't inhibit the T-cell. If they are close together, they inhibit the T-cell. So you have different, two different situations, same number, same type of cell. The one sit together, the other one sit not together. You have a different outcome. In one situation, the CD8 cells are inhibited, in the other not. And that you can only determine when you have an image. Because if you dissociate your tumor tissue, you can quantify precisely and you can define which cell types are there. But the proximity analysis, you can never get with any other analysis than an image analysis. And the outcome, as I explained, is very different whether the cells sit together, talk to each other, or they do not sit together. So um, this is one example where image analysis is the only way to determine this information. And that, and that has consequences for um, understanding why, why the immune cell, the CD8, does not kill or why it does kill in another situation, for example. So the visualization of those cells, obviously we have immunohistochemistry, immunofluorescence, and multiplex immunofluorescence. Are there any other methods that you are using in your research? At the moment, these are sort of the ones becoming established. Mm -hmm. The single marker analysis, I mean, it's done by histology for I would say centuries. Mm -hmm. um, so that's uh, the most simple and the easiest one. This gives you part of the information because you can only determine one cell type or one process, one factor. If you have a multiple multiplex staining, this offers much more information from the tissue. You can see this, the different cell types in one section slide and uh, this gives you the information of the communication. As I said, the immune system is a system that communicates and it, is, it matters what they say to each other because they may say stop or they may say go, go faster. So, and if you have multiple markers that which you can stain on the same slide, you can get much more of this information. Um, it's however, challenging because um, you have to have uh, you have to be able to really precisely distinguish the cell types you have to have good markers you have to be able to sensitively detect them and then you have also to make the analysis and the more markers you combine then your visual brain is not no longer able to kind of uh, make all these connections, how many cells are there, how mm -hmm. many of those which are there are in contact and so on. Each marker you add makes it more complex for the analysis. And then you cannot do it by eye anymore because mm -hmm. you just cannot grasp the complexity. That's when you have to get into a computer-assisted detection system 
and uh, have to actually trust tr- trust a non-human being mm-hmm. for for your results. So, is it a common practice now? All when you have multiple markers, image analysis used. Period. Right. There is no like attempts, or do people still try to like just do it by eye or assess? Uh, semi-quantitatively without using image analysis. What's your experience in that? I can say for myself, I want to always see. And Mm -hmm. so (laughs) I'm the one who kind of wants to see and does not want to go blind into numbers. No, the same for me. I have to see this because I want to know that the algorithm is doing a good job. Exactly. Even for me who... I mean, I, I work with cells, I work in cell culture, and I like to see things. But that's, you have to get beyond that. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to kind of um, charge the machines, I, I say this way, so that the algorithms are correct. But you still have to, I have, there's a step where you first control um, to see and supervise, so to speak. But mm-hmm. there is no other way than to go beyond the visual um, analysis. Mm-hmm. That there is no way that uh, to, to sort of avoid that or to not do that. Because otherwise you can not really grasp the, the different communication processes that are present in the tissue and uh, the different cell types, how they react with each other. Because the system is complex and you cannot um, ignore that complexity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So another question that I have, we let's say we have a biopsy or a resection of a tumor. This is a section of a point in time. Mm-hmm. Obviously, immune system is super dynamic Mm-hmm. How like reliable is this information if we only have it from one time point? How many would we need to assess the dynamic? And is it even possible in the current uh, immune oncology field? Maybe research yeah. is making it yeah. possible, but would it be possible in the clinic? What's your take on that? I mean, this is a very important question and there are lots of... Um attempts to understand what is really what is required to know um, so multiple biopsies taken how many to really grasp the heterogeneity of the tissue which is present uh, so there's no doubt that the tissue is very heterogenic um, so there are comparisons made um, on the molecular level and also on um, the cell types um, so for the immune response, I am not so extremely worried about the heterogeneity mm-hmm. because the immune system is dynamic. I have to find a point where I can launch the immune to direct the immune system to attack. Mm-hmm. And from then on, it may develop itself. It's like starting a little snowball and then it becomes an avalanche. Mm -hmm. So I have to have one attack point. And then the 
that's as an example, the T cell destroys this one cell where I directed to, and then this cell releases other factors, other antigens, and then new T cells will attack these second antigen and attacking the second tumor cell, which may or may not have the first antigen at all. And then, then the second tumor cell line will release another antigen, A, B, C, and D. And against those, the T cell again will develop, new T cells will develop. So um, with directing the immune system towards the tumor target, initially, I do not have to have a broadly expressed target because these other targets, which are hidden in the tumor cells initially, they will become obvious to mm -hmm. the immune system. But what I need to have for this immune system to develop is as I introduced before, I need antigen presentation. So these newly released antigens where my initial T cell wasn't seeing those, they have to be made visible to the other T cells which can react then. And so it's important that I have this antigen presentation ongoing during the immune response. And therefore, the dendritic cells may really be one of the central cells in, in, this, in this process. The T cell is the executor, but to have them ongoing, I need these presenting cells. And therefore, I guess one has to look for the presence of this antigen presentation cells in the tumor tissue, or also it can happen in the lymph node as well. And so the heterogeneity is, is not so critical, in my opinion, for an immune response towards the tumor. It's very critical, of course, if I have a molecular target, a drug target, like because if it's like I'm directing it towards the mutant uh, KRAS or so in lung cancer, then the, my, my drug can only detect those cells which have this one particular mutation. Mm -hmm. And the drug cannot change. It cannot detect then another mutation that is in other cells. So for, for these targeted uh, therapies, these molecular targeted therapies, the heterogeneity is really critical because if I target a, a mutation that is present in only 1% of cells, then I kill only 1% of cells. And there is no way that I can kill the other ones by the same mechanism. Mm -hmm. and, and therefore, heterogeneity is very important for targeted, molecular targeted therapy, but not so critical for the immune targeted therapies. I never looked at this from that point, but you're totally right. This is a dynamic system. What, what still happens is that I, the, the, the immunological environment will also change when the immune system is starting to do something. So like um, a T cell, when it attacks its tumor cell effectively, it not only kills, but at the same time, it releases cytokines. Like the most important or the most common one is interferon gamma. 
And this interferon gamma does something to the tumor cells. For example, it induces PDL1. And PDL1 prevents the, T, the tumor cells from being killed by the T cell. So I have a process of self-inhibiting or self-limiting immune response, which is our built-in regulation. So a T cell kills its target, produces interferon gamma, so the neighboring tumor cells will be PDL1 positive and inhibit the incoming T cell response. So I have to foresee basically that with an effective immune response, I get a responding inhibition. So, and in my initial analysis of the tumor tissue before the T cell attack happens, the PDL1 may not be even present. So I say, oh, I have no PDL1 inhibition, but that's not true. It may occur after I have a certain immune response initiated. And so I have to foresee what will happen if an immune response occurs. And so what I do know from immunology is that if I induce a T cell response, then I can count on that I will have a subsequent inhibition. And so this inhibition, I have to target as well so that the immune response can go on for a longer time. And so this dynamics, I kind of have to foresee, and I can only foresee when I understand what processes I initiate with my initial therapy. Mm -hmm. And so it's all, um, it's not so easy and it's not static. Mm -hmm. But basically the one image, let's say we take one image and this one image gives you a starting point from okay. which you start interpreting and Yes. thinking, okay, this is the therapy I want to use. This is the processes exactly. I want to uh, start. Then subsequent processes are this and this and that. And because yes. it's a dynamic system, it's not crucial to have like, I don't know, biopsies every other day or something like that. I would say not. However, it would help if one would have a, a biopsy later on, because after all, it's still a hypothesis, what I foresee. Mm -hmm. And although I say, you know, I'm pretty sure this will happen, pretty sure is not enough. After all, we have to know. And so in the process or at the point where we are at the moment, we do not have the data whether what I foresee is really happening. For that reason, Studies are required where sequential biopsies are taken and are analyzed. And that will provide us with more information how the immune system actually develops and where we have to intervene further on. And then we may be able to actually build a, a, a model, a mathematical model where we can foresee what will follow after one and another, how the waves will occur. But we do need, we do need the data for that. Mm -hmm. And so in, in that regard, sequential biopsies uh, or studies where sequential biopsies are taken are actually absolutely mandatory to set up 
those studies to approve them and execute them because uh, that the information is scarce on that. It's just my interpretation from how immune cells and immune the immune system regulates itself. Mm-hmm. But the data in particular in the human system are still not very co- commonly done. It's all from mouse uh, work and we can predict things, but you know, we again have to see whether that really is correct what we predict. Definitely. I did I worked in the immune oncology image analysis space, so I'm not totally new to the subject, but this has been a great overview for me and I have benefited a lot from talking to you, Alfreda. So thank you so much for making this pretty complex topic clearer to us and to everyone who's listening. It was my pleasure. I'm fascinated by the immune system and I'd like to communicate this fascination and uh, People are afraid that this immunity is so complex. It is complex, but there are logics behind it. We have to understand and we have to observe and we have to study it. And image analysis, I mean, the new technologies, they offer a great opportunity to better understand what actually goes on in the tissue itself. So in that way, I am very thankful that people develop those um, analysis systems and I'm I'm very excited to apply them and to see how far we can take them and uh, how we can improve. Mm -hmm. Definitely something that has been helping immune oncology for quite some time already. Thank you so much for your time and for this great conversation and I hope you have a great day. Yeah, thank you very much for your time. I want to thank VisioFirm for sponsoring this episode. To learn more about their offer, please visit their website at visiofirm.com and I will include this address in the show notes. Thanks for listening. For more great digital pathology resources, visit the Digital Pathology Place website and subscribe to our newsletter on digitalpathologyplace.com. After subscribing, you will get access to the free Digital Pathology Crash Course, which will help you start working on your digital pathology projects immediately. Talk to you in the next episode.